Good evening. Hymn number 493. Hymn number 493. We're in the process of getting ready for a revival. Let's just sing about it right now.
me on the last verse. Just a few more weary days and then I'll fly away to a land where joy shall never end. I'll fly away. I'll fly away. Oh, glory. Thank you for this time that we have together together to worship and sing praises to you. Lord, we ask that you bless this offering, the gift and the giver, the everything that's said and done here tonight. Glorify your name. Christ's name we pray. Amen. Big Apple, the influencer of food, fashion, and music, the home of Wall Street, Broadway, and the Statue of Liberty, and almost 21 million lost people walk in the five boroughs every day. In New York, there are many diverse backgrounds due to 36% of the population being foreign-born. This leads to many different religious beliefs. Currently, only 4% of people identify as evangelical Christians. And because of that, the state of New York has only one SBC church per 52,000 people. So what does all that mean? It means we need your church to come alongside the church planters in New York. 
the first thing we all can do is pray for the church planters laboring in the field. Next, we can support church planters by providing the resources they need to reach the lost. Even better is for our Kentucky Baptist churches to send teams and to serve alongside these missionaries in New York. You can learn more about Kentucky Baptist Convention's vision for New York and how your church should pray, support, and go in Jesus' name by checking out kybaptist.org slash vision. That's a video there from our um, Kentucky Baptist Convention. And as we give, our, our, we give 10% to the cooperative program to the, to the KBC. So as you give to our budget, it goes to supporting this. There are so many partnerships with New York City. You know, New York City is the largest city in America, you know, over eight, nine million folks up there. So, and there's just not a lot of gospel preaching churches. So that is um, uh, a new partnership they've begun. And they're actually planning a vision trip. Ben, Bill, and I have been on a vision trip. They're planning another one up, uh, planning one up there in May of, uh, of next year. So that'll be encouraging to s- as we give to support uh, for us, our partnership with that. Welcome to Sunday Evening Church. I want to um, I want to call attention to your bulletin. If you don't have a bulletin at this time, you want to make sure you have a bulletin. We have them back there on the back, so you want to make sure you grab a bulletin. There. I also want to recognize our guests. If you're a guest here, a visitor, uh, inside your bulletin, there's a welcome tab. You fill that out, and what happens is in the service, we have little black boxes there at the welcome center, and as you leave, you just drop your uh, guest card there in the uh, black boxes and record your visit. If you have a bulletin, you'll pull it out because on the you have sermon notes here. You can follow along tonight. So I want you to go ahead and pull those out and take a look. I want to go ahead, as you turn your Bibles, go ahead and open up your Bibles to the book of Acts. Hopefully you'll be able to see it up here on the screen. We're in Acts chapter 4. We're going to be looking at that tonight uh, in our scriptures. I want to give you an update the next couple of uh, Sunday nights here at Broadway. Next week, we have something very unique here at 6 o'clock. So Awana goes on at 5.30, then you'll come up upstairs. Um, we have a concert. A quartet group is called His Heart. Sure, you've heard of them. I believe they sang here at church before several years ago. It's uh, they're going to be singing here, but it's also David Huff, who whose son is battling leukemia, and he's at uh, MD Anderson. They're a uh, uh, real, real, real rare aggressive form of leukemia. They're down there in Houston right now. They've been there for eight nine months. He will be here. We're going to have a special time of prayer during that concert of inviting David Huff and his daughter in law April. She's a fourth grade teacher over at uh, Cardinal Valley Elementary. She's going to be here as well that night, give an update on her husband's condition. They're only 32, 33 years old, and it's not good. So we're going to be praying that next Sunday night over them and also have um, just a circle of prayer and really be a powerful service with his heart quartet. So that is next Sunday night. Two weeks from tonight is September 1st. That is Labor Day weekend. Labor Day weekend, we don't have Awana and we don't have evening worship because a lot of folks are out of town and hopefully the 96-degree weather is gone and it's nice fall weather's rolling in. So that there's no evening service two weeks. Three weeks from tonight is our fall revival. So we have church and Awana, but we'll have a guest preacher named Keith Cook up here, fantastic preacher from Tennessee. So that's our update on um, next three weeks here at Broadway. So, um, so a lot of, certainly a lot of good things going on. So pull out your Bibles to the book of Acts. 
Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 22. We're going to read this here, and this is a powerful passage. And we're talking about, really, what happens to Peter and John because of their boldness. I want to give you some background information of what's going on. The book of Acts, the first part of the book of Acts, Jesus ascended into heaven. He had been crucified, he ascended, then Pentecost came along. He, he ascended, on a, he stayed for, after his resurrection, he stayed on earth 40 days and appeared to over 500 folks, his disciples, and they saw the resurrected Jesus. Then he told his disciples, he says, y'all need to stay in Jerusalem because on day 40 he left. Y'all stay in Jerusalem because on day 50 something's going to happen 10 days later. And you say, what are you talking about day 40, day 50? The way Jewish folks counted is Jesus was on earth, resurrected 40 days after Passover, the day he died. Then some of uh, the first Jewish he- feast, or the second Jewish feast of the year is called Pentecost. That's when the first harvest is coming in. That was the 50th day. It's the reason Penta means uh, 50. So the 50th day after Passover, that's when the Holy Spirit, and this is Acts chapter 2, I'll, just, I'll go over it. What happened is all the disciples are there in, in the upper room where they celebrated the Lord's Supper in Jerusalem with Jesus, where he broke the bread, said, this is my body, and then he picks up the cup and says, this is my blood. And what happened is the Holy Spirit came down on day 50. And then folks started speaking in tongues, and folks all around are hearing their native languages, and it's a, a really a great revival. 3,000 folks were saved at Pentecost. Peter stood up and preached a Pentecost sermon. Well, then you get to chapter 3 in Acts. Chapter 3, Peter and John are going to church, and they see a lame man there on the side, and they heal him. They said, in the name of Jesus, I command you to get up. The guy couldn't walk. He'd been begging for years and years. He was over 40 years old. He'd been begging his whole life there at the temple. They told him to get up. Well, the Jewish religious leaders did not like that because what's happening is this following of Christians is uh, is starting to grow. You know, one of the greatest challenges when, when you're a church planner and you go into a town and you start doing a new work, do you know what the opposition you run into? It's from the established churches. Like, well, we don't need another church here. We, you don't need to be setting up your shop down the road. I mean, that's like, say, the bank here went out of business. And a Baptist church was put in right there where PNC Bank and said, this is uh, Harrisburg Road Baptist Church. Say, and all of a sudden, you're looking over here. Why do we need another Baptist church when there's one right here? Somebody wants to come hear the gospel. And that, that's, what, that's what the religious leaders felt Jesus was doing. Here, this guy and his followers, they're pulling away from our teaching. And I'm losing influence. It's competition. That's what they felt. So that's what we're going to pick up right here. They are not happy with Peter and John. Peter and John are now the leaders of the early church. And we're going to see how they get arrested. And we're going to see their boldness. And the goal of tonight's sermon, the goal of tonight's message is for us, we live in a culture that is certainly, it's not necessarily, it's not that we're in competition. Our our competition, so to say, or our culture is basically trying to silence the church. The attitude that we encounter today is you can be a believer. You can be a Christian. Like this campus right here is 3.3 acres. 
Broadway Baptist, you can have a great witness right here on your 3.3 acres. But you don't need to go off and be bold for Jesus outside your church. If you want to do your events, you want to have your big uh, fall festival, you have the back-to-school bash like last week, that's fine. You just keep it on your campus. That's the attitude today. So we live somewhat in the same world that Peter and John live in because they're going on in the temple and they're teaching and preaching about Jesus. And this guy who got healed, he's jumping up and down excited. But all of a sudden, there's opposition. So, all right, turn your Bibles. Acts chapter 4, verse 1. I guess we're going to put up here on the screen as well. Verse 1. While they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple police and the, Sad- and the Sadducees confronted them. Let me explain what all these folks are. So this we're talking about Peter and John. They're speaking to all the folks that basically control the city. Now, in our time, religious leaders don't run Lexington. You might think I do, but I don't. The government, politics has become the new religion, and it's basically become a religion today. So basically, they're, they're running into governmental, the mayor, the congressman, folks that feel like they're in charge. The Sadducees, this is a religious group similar to the Pharisees. Um, it's an easy way to remember what they believe. You look at that word and go, sad, you see. And they're sad because they didn't believe in a resurrection. That's how you teach children in the Bible. The Sadducees were always sad because there was no resurrection. Terry, I didn't get a laugh for that. That was. That was. <clears throat> but, they, but they did not believe Jesus resurrected. So these are very influential, important folks. Verse 2, look here in your Bibles. Because they were annoyed. This is what happened. They're annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So these folks are being bold. They're going around proclaiming Jesus. Look at this. <laughs> this is what you do when you don't like folks. So they seized them and took them into custody until the next day since it was already evening. So why, why did they have to throw it? They said, threw them in jail. The, the religious leaders, they had temple police. So that's like me saying... Some things are going on here in Lexington. I'll let deacons go arrest those folks over there. So when Harrodsburg Road Baptist Church set up shop right next door, and we don't like it, I send Bob Willett over there, and he arrests their pastor and throws them in jail. I said, we've got to stop. We've got to stamp this nonsense out. That's similar to what's happening here. So, and the reason why they, had, they couldn't have an immediate hearing right now is because the Sanhedrin, which is the Jewish ruling council, they were not allowed to meet at night. And it's interesting. They did meet at night one time. Do you know when they met at night? When they, were, when they put Jesus on trial. So actually, Jesus' trial, it was before daybreak. It was very early when they met. They rounded him up in the middle of the night and had a 4 a.m. meeting so they could basically say, we've got to kill this guy. And it was actually an illegal meeting that they had with Jesus. So Jesus did not receive whatsoever justice. So that's why they're saying here they didn't want to meet at night. Keep going here in your Bibles. It says, but many of those, verse 4, who heard the message believed, 
And the number of men came to about 5,000. So we know 5,000 men. There's probably about thousands of other women and maybe teenagers of other believers there. Uh, a man typically in Jewish uh, customs, you're like 13, 14 years old, somebody who's a, a, a young teenager possibly, and that they recognize these were men in the city. So what's going on is there is a large following. 5,000 people is a lot of followers. That's a mega church. Now, 5,000 people, that includes earlier the 3,000 folks who got saved at Pentecost. So remember when the book of Acts started, it said there were about 120 disciples. So you have to think about it. Jesus had 12 disciples. He died on the cross. He invested in those men. We get to Acts chapter 1. It's kind of multiplied. We're about 120, a small church. Pentecost breaks out the Holy Spirit. Now we're up to 3,000. Now we just, the Bible, they're just continuing to grow. People are turning to the Lord. They're believing in Jesus. The gospel is spreading. Now we're at 5,000 people by the time we get to Acts chapter 4. And that's why they, these guys got seized. You, you, we're going to put an end to this. And it's important for this because these were the leaders. Here in your bulletin, sir, I want you to pull it out. The first point, what does boldness for Christ look like? I have it up here on the screen. It's the first bullet point. Peter and John, and I don't know if they'll come up, but it says, if you look in your handout, Peter and John were bold before religious leaders. Say, here's what it would be today. I want you to follow along. Today, who are our religious leaders today? Today, our religious leaders would be governmental, educational, and business leaders. You think about that. Because we don't really have religious leaders such as, religious folks don't run the city. They're not in charge. They don't have a temple police arresting folks. But our government Education, that's huge influence. We live, I mean, UK is starting. They're all moving in Wednesday. They're going to have lunch at Moe's this afternoon with two UK students. They were across the table from me. They were telling me they're moving in. And then business leaders, people who run, the, run businesses have influence. So those are your three lines there, governmental, educational, and business. Keep going here in your Bibles. Verse 5. The next day, their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem. With Annas the high priest, Cyphus, John, Alexander, and all the members of the high priest's priestly family. Do you know who these people were? Now, this is roughly, remember, Pentecost was 50 days after Jesus died. This is probably only three or four days after Pentecost. These people, Annas and Caiaphas, literally 54, 55, year, 55 days earlier, they had Jesus in front of them. They were sentencing Jesus to die. Now, they're saying here, Peter, John, as disciples of Jesus, we're going to end this. So what happens, we see these men literally are just following the same track as Jesus. The same old, same old high priestly family here. Verse 7. After they had Peter and John stand before them, they began to question them. By what power or in what name have you done this? 
Like, where, where, well, how are you able to do something like this? So they're wanting to know, first of all, they didn't believe Jesus could do it. And there's a name, and that name there is important. Because you think about it, this morning, I preached on how God took Jacob, which means deceiver. This is out Genesis 32. God took the name Jacob, and when he wrestled with the Lord that night, he renamed him that night also when he got his blessing, Israel. And Israel means, I have struggled with God and prevailed. So he renamed him, says, you're no longer known as a deceiver. You're now the man who has fought and struggled with the Lord. You're Israel. So a name means something. Hopefully your name means something. <clears throat> Sherry Osmond tells me that she was named after the grocery store clerk. That's what her mother says. <laughs> so, but maybe she was gr- that grocery store clerk was a godly lady that loved the Lord. I'm sure she was with that. But we see here, they want to know the name of Jesus here. So, like, where are you getting this authority? And that's a question today. Church, where do we get our authority? We get our authority by the name of Jesus. We get it in this book here. So that's the question folks want to know. So what, what gives you this authority? When you go into your community and you talk to governmental, business, and educational leaders, and you have a message for them, where do you have your authority? This comes from the Bible. Without the Bible, we have no authority. We have nothing to stand on. All right. Keep moving here in your Bible. Verse 8. Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, rulers of the people and elders. Right there, Peter is bold. That's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit is when you're going to speak up for the Lord. Filled with the Holy Spirit is the person that you know who's unchurched, who's in rebellion. You boldly say, hey, this is what God wants for you. These guys were not shy. They were not closet Christians. Christ is calling us to this same boldness. Peter speaks up and says this. Verse 9, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, by what means was he healed? Let it be known to you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, remember 55 days earlier, they crucified that man and whom God raised from the dead. By him this man is standing here before you healthy. This Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. Now in your Bibles you should have a footnote there, and you look down at the bottom. My footnote is number 8, and it says that is a quote from Psalm 118, verse 22. That phrase, the stone rejected by the builders, what that means is, who was the stone? The stone was Jesus. And it says, this stone that you didn't like, it has become the cornerstone. The temple had, and it still has, there's one wall left, the western wall. Huge stones, massive stones there. Those stones, I mean, they've been there thousands of years. And they're not moving. They're massive. took forever to get there. The, the, the most important of all those stones is the foundational stone. That is a cornerstone. That's what you build a house. That's what you build a temple on. That's what you build a church on. It's a foundation. What they're saying is the, the stone you 
the stone you rejected is actually become the foundation. What, G, what, what Peter's saying here is your and I's, our foundation is on Christ. Your family's foundation, it's on the Lord. It's on Jesus. Without a foundation on Jesus Christ, you just wash away. You don't make it. This is why attending church is so important. This is why seeing your children, your teenagers like this morning get baptized is so, it's, it's, it's a must. It's why bringing your children downstairs to Awana clubs, why, you know, you know what Awana is. Awana is learning Bible verses and going to the gym having fun. That's really it. When it comes down to it, they're learning scripture and having fun. Game time and Jesus. It, it, it's, if you go there training, they say, if you don't do game time well, you don't get any folks to come because the, the kids are coming for, they're coming for the fun, but they're learning about the Lord. On Wednesday nights, you know, we have basketball in here. You know why we do that? Because the boys want to play. But Keith leads them in a devotion. He sits down and says, this is what God's word says. This is what Jesus will have you to do. Our foundation in our life, it has to be the stone that was rejected. If you've rejected Jesus, you have no foundation. And that's what Peter's saying. That's what Psalm 118.22 says. Now look at verse 12. Look here on the board. This is so important. This is what Peter's boldly claiming. There is salvation in no one else. Not in Muhammad. Not in Buddha. Not in um, just what you believe. You know, one of, one of the greatest things you're going to uh, run into, if you go out, if you're a soul winner, if you go out in this community and you tell folks about Jesus, do you know what they will say? They will say, well, I'm a good person. You know, I, I, I don't cheat, I don't steal, and I cut the grass. I, I do a good job in the community. I show up to work on time. Uh, most folks feel a works-based salvation. That is prevalent, rampant, all around. It's not just here, it's everywhere. But the problem with that is salvation by Jesus isn't based on our works. It's based on what Christ has done, and then we accept his salvation. Now, if it was based on works, could you imagine we stand before God and he looks at us and says, well, Daniel, why should I let you into heaven? He says, well, I'm a good man. This, these are all the five or six things I did. I, I basically, God, have evaluated myself and I've met the bar to come into heaven. Now, what job, could you imagine your performance review at work? And you're in front of your boss. And they say, let's review your life, or let's review your past year, your past quarter. And you look at them and say, well, I'm a good employee because I have created my own evaluation and these seven or eight things I've done, so therefore I get a raise and I get to keep my job. No one works like that. We don't create our own evaluation. God is the one who has created the standard, not us. But I want to tell you, most of the folks here, that's what they believe. The most important decision in the world, your, your eternal salvation. Folks just believe, well, if you're a good man, you do the right things, you live good, you're going to heaven. You're basically telling God his evaluation of you. And that's why you should let him in. So what, what, what the Bible's saying here in verse 12, 
Jesus is telling us there's salvation no one else. Jesus is the standard. This is why your salvation, your relationship with Christ is so important. And look at this. For there's no other name under heaven. There's no other name. It's the name of Jesus. Given to people by much we must be saved. If you want to lead someone to Christ, you point them to Jesus. If you want to be a soul winner, you teach them about the Lord. Y'all know I'm the telemarketing champion, meaning I get more telemarkers than anyone else. It drives Sherry Osmond crazy because I answer the phone. You call me, I answer the phone. Even if it's in New York or New Mexico, all over the world. Well, this week I got one. And I want to tell you, one of the best ways of learning to build your confidence in sharing the gospel is talking to telemarketers about Jesus. If you're shy or if you just aren't very confident in talking to people about the Lord, when these strange numbers call, start a conversation about Jesus. I promise you. Now, they're going to hang up on you. They might even say some (coughs) ungodly words, but you will get gospel opportunities to talk to them. I had this guy this week, and normally they just hang up. I had, a, I had a friend who was a telemarketer. I think I've shared this. And he told me, he said, Jim, if the worst, thing you, the worst thing people hate is for someone to keep talking to them because all you're doing is just wasting their time because they, they despise that. If you're not a real customer or you're playing a game with them, but I've learned that you might get, you might get them to take you off your list. If you ask to take you off the list, they won't. So you, hopefully they hang up on me. Anyway, I got one this week. A man I started, I said, sir, um, you mind if I take the time to tell you about the Lord, about Jesus? He shot back and says, oh, I'm a Muslim. I believe in Allah. That guy didn't hang up. He went on and on. He was trying to evangelize me. I don't know what country he was from, <laughs> but he was devout in his faith. And he told me he was saved. He did not believe in Jesus, that he believed in Allah. The problem with that. No other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. The name of Jesus, not the name of Allah, not the name of Muhammad. My heart was broken for that man. I talked to him for several minutes. And basically, he did hang up on me eventually. But I, I wouldn't budge. He wouldn't budge. And I guess he figured out he's talked to me enough. But we, we are surrounded by folks. They believe the name is another religion, or they believe the name to be saved is by their standard. Our responsibility as Bible-believing, gospel-believing Christians is that we communicate that it is the name of Jesus alone that folks are saved. Keep going here in your Bible. Or actually, pull out your your bulletin insert here. Here's the second point. Hopefully we can put it up on the screen here. Follow along. Number two, what boldness for Christ looks like. Peter and John were bold in your bulletin right there because why? They had been with Jesus. We're about to see that. They had been with Jesus. B-E-N-N. They experienced, they recognized this man. He had an impact on them. When you leave church, can folks tell that you've been in the presence of the Lord? Are you excited to be here? Do your children, your family members know, hey, that's somebody who loves the Lord? Keep going here in your Bibles. Last section we're going to see, starting in verse 13. Now, this is what happened. They were just on trial. 
and they, they were very bold. So this is their response. Verse 13, when they, meaning the Jewish religious leaders, observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men. What an insult. Don't you love to be called uneducated? Don't you love to say you're un- untrained? Someone's, someone who loves the Lord, people just look down and say, these people are uneducated. They don't have any degrees. They didn't go to school. They're untrained. They don't even know what they're doing. These are just hobos off the street. That's literally what they're looking at. They were amazed. They're amazed because they're thinking, why would these practically homeless bombs be teaching about this man? Who do they think they are? And they were amazed and recognized what they had been with Jesus. Do you know what qualified them to make them great great evangelists and promoters of the Lord? Their presence with the Lord. They'd been with Jesus. Listen, just if, if you are new to the Christian faith, or you're about to be new to the Christian faith, our education and our training doesn't qualify that to serve the Lord. What qualifies us is our, the presence with Jesus. If you, you can have all the degrees in the world and all the training in the world, but if you don't have the Holy Spirit in your life, if you haven't been in the presence of God, it's going to show. These folks were amazed at Peter and John because they were overflowing with Christ in their life. I tell you, that is lacking among a lot of Christians. Do folks know that you're a believer? When you go to work, do they know where you stand? Look what happened here. So that this, they're just insulting these guys. Verse 14. And since they saw the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in opposition. Remember the chapter before this, what happened? They healed a man. He was 40 years old or older than 40 years. He had been lame in the power of Jesus. The name of Jesus literally heals this man. And here is this guy who used to be a beggar. He's standing there. So they have nothing else to say. The best testimony you will ever have is your personal testimony, how Jesus Christ changed your life. I want you to say, if you, if you are here tonight and you do not know how to share your testimony, you're going to laugh when I say this. The next time a telemarketer calls, I want you to practice sharing your testimony. Look, they're calling you. They've interrupted your life. You might as well take the opportunity to start practicing sharing your testimony. Say, sir, I don't want to buy insurance right now, but let me tell you about the Lord. Let me tell you what Jesus has done in my life. That gives you practice to start doing that. One, I'm telling y'all, y'all laugh at this, but this is... These folks here, they had nothing to say because they were excited about Jesus Christ. It should overflow. Never miss a telemarketing opportunity to share your testimony or to tell that person about Jesus. It allows you to practice sharing the gospel. And then, now you have to know, they're going to hang up on you. Get ready for that rejection. But you know then that Two or three weeks later, work or at school, you'll get a real opportunity. And you'll be skilled at it because you've been doing it five times a day to people in, in India. Keep going here in your Bible. Look what happened. 
After they ordered them to leave the Sanhedrin, they conferred among themselves. So here's their meeting, saying, What should we do with these men? For an obvious sign has been done through them, clear to everyone living in Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. Verse 17, but so that this does not spread any further among the people, let's threaten them against speaking to anyone in this name again. That means the crowds were getting big, so we're just going to threaten the people, saying you can't talk about Jesus. They're going to put the bands, the silence bands. This threat is all around us today. You go If, if you're bold in your faith at school, someone will say, Ma'am, you know, you need to be careful because some people might not believe what you believe. That's where your testimony is so powerful. You cannot deny if Jesus Christ changed your life and you're excited and proud of it. You're just telling about your life. It's your life story. My life has been changed for the Lord. And brother, I want to tell you about it. It's not that you're witnessing. You're just telling your testimony. Do you know your testimony? Have you worked on how when you how you were saved my testimony for me i was saved when i was 15 years old but i had walked the aisle when i was 11 and gotten baptized but i didn't get saved till i was a, a, a ninth grader in high school and god was working in my life and i was starting to have some friends in the ninth grade that were starting to go down a road that was not biblical and i knew that was wrong because i was literally raised in church i actually was there so early my parents are early birds i flipped the lights on when I went to my Sunday school class. Do you, we had Sunday school at 8 a.m., 8 a.m. My parents would be there at 7.40. I was going around the hall to turn all the lights on in the building, the hallway, the stairwell. First, I mean, first one of the first ones. One time we got there before the doors were unlocked. The janitor, the custodian, had unlocked the church doors. So I literally lived at church. First one there. And what happened was I was faced with a decision in ninth grade, 15 years old where I could either go one way with these friends or I could choose to follow Christ. Jesus was working in my life. He convicted me of sin, and I prayed and asked Christ. Say, Christ, that decision I made, Jesus, when I was 11, just a young boy, fifth grade, it, it wasn't real. Four years later, I gave my life to Christ when I was 15. That's a testimony. And I went from, all of a sudden, my testimony is not is. Not so much. Look what God, ke- uh, look what God, ke- or um, saved me from, or forgave me. But look what He kept me from. A lot of times we talk about the forgiving part of God, but my testimony is the keeping part of God. God keeps you from sin. You c- you get saved and give your life as your children at a young age, and you don't have to go through a lot of these things. Folks have to go through. Jesus Christ has kept me from sin. That is a testimony. And I talk about the keeping part of God. Now, if I know my testimony, do you know yours? Telemarketers have heard my testimony. Anyway, keep going here. Verse 19. So they've been commanded. Do not speak at all. But look at verse 18. Verse 18. So they called for them and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So in the name of Jesus, you can't do it. And look what Peter says in verse 19. Look up here on the board. Peter and John answered them. Whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. And Peter's saying, listen, Sanhedrin, I know you think you're in charge, but God has instructed and commanded us that we are to be bold for the Lord. We are going to answer 
to God, not to you. And then it says in verse 20, For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. They aren't going to do it. They're saying, I'm not going to stop talking about Jesus. This is a boldness that I tell you we are lacking today. You know, in your little, in your little bulletin insert, and I hope y'all get one of these. If you if you lost if you uh, didn't have your bulletin insert, that you know we're starting 25 days of prayer leading up to our revival that begins three weeks from today. And Brother Hurd here, he made this little great insert. And Brother Hurd, I ain't had a comment. I'm leaving the door. Somebody told me how much they loved this. He said he made the comment. In the midst of this, and when you leave, you need to make sure you have a bulletin there. You can put in your Bible this week. In the midst of this, he's talking about our culture. The church is retreating. You remember that, Brother Heard? You said, in the midst of this, the church is retreating. You know what retreating means? That's such a powerful word. Retreating means, all of a sudden, when someone tells you to stop, guys, y'all just need to tone it down. You say, you're right, I'll, I'll step back. I won't bother you. I'll stay on our 3.3 acres. We're going to step back. You do your thing. We do our thing. Our, our paths won't cross. I want to tell no. Jim Hurd is right. If anyone has seen a church that has retreated, Brother Hurd, it's you. 60 years ago, when he went to the ministry, the church was boldly involved in the community. Schools, you had prayer in schools, and the, you do you know in Moreland, Georgia, in the 1950s and 60s, at Moreland Baptist Church, which is now First Baptist Church there, because they had a church split in 1979, and there's another church down the road, so they renamed their church First Baptist Church, they would have revivals. And during the day, they had a 10 a.m. service. Do you know why they would have a 10 a.m. service? And I know this because people told me they remember the old-timers at the church. There was an elementary school across the street from the church. The children, this is unheard of, the children at the public school would come and hear the evangelist at 10 a.m. He would do literally inside the church. It would be packed with school children. The school was there. And then at night at 6.30, 7 o'clock, the parents would come, probably bring the children a second time. That is unheard of. I don't know of a single, we have revival in three weeks. Clay's Mill Elementary School is down the road. If you live in these communities right here, these houses, you're zoned for Clay's Mill Elementary. Could you imagine Broadway? I go to the principal this week and say, guys, I'm so glad Clay's Mill Elementary is here. I want you to know we're going to have a revival in three weeks. And I want to have a special 10 a.m. service for you to bus all the kids up here. And at 10 a.m., we want, for these three days, this place to be packed so children can hear about Jesus. How would that be, how would that be responded to? They would laugh at me. They'd call security and say, who is this Looney Tune? This guy's off his rockers. We're not going to bust the children up to the school to learn about Jesus at 10 a.m.? Sixty years ago, it happened. They walked across the street. The entire school went to the church to hear about Jesus, and they got saved. Children would come home and say they gave their life to Christ. That's called, listen, we've retreated. 
Do you see how far that idea is? Clay's, Clay's Mill Elementary coming to church for the revival at Broadway at the 10 a.m. to hear the evangelist? That is unfathomable today. Unheard of. That was the norm 60 years ago. At least in Georgia it was. Maybe it was for you. Norm. That's because Brother Hurd is right. In the midst of all this immorality, the church has retreated. Who's the church? The church is us. We're the church. We've gone backward in our belief. Why have we gone backward? Because we don't have this boldness here. We're unable to stop speaking. We have stopped speaking. We've just quit. We step back and say, I'll do my thing, you do your thing. And that is not Peter and John. That's not the folks we see in the Bible. These disciples were bold in their faith. Last Bible verse here. Look here in your scripture. We're going to have a time of response. It says here, verse uh, 21. After threatening them further, they released them. They found no way to punish them because the people were all giving glory to God over what they had what had been done. For this sign of healing had been performed on a man over 40 years old. This guy was 40 years old and he received the healing. Last thing I want you to see here. Hopefully we can put up here on the board. Last, try for the third time. Peter and John were bold. Why in your, in your bulletin, sir? They were bold before, here they come, before threats. That's the first one. We have governmental, educational, and business leaders. The second one here is, is they've been with Jesus. And the third one here is Peter and John were bold before threats. When they receive threats, and we receive threats regularly, a threat, it's not a threat to kill you. A threat says, say, hey, just you need, to, you need to tone it down. You don't need to be doing this. You need to chill out, take a Jesus chill pill. You don't need to be that type of believer. You don't need to be, back in the 90s, it was DC Talk and it was Jesus Freaks. You don't need to be a Jesus Freak. You do your church thing, church, and it needs to stay there. That is the attitude. They pour, you will have cold, when you get bold for Jesus, you will have cold water poured on you. I want to tell you, too, a lot of times that cold water will be poured on you at church, among your brethren, among church folks, among folks that you, you thought knew the Lord, and they just, they're discouraging you. Do we see in this story here, Peter and John, these folks are bold. Peter and John were, bo- were bold before threats. If you're forced with a decision in which you must obey God or the authorities, and authorities are these people up here, governmental, education, or business, You can be certain that obeying God is the right decision. We always choose the Lord. When we're faced with a decision, who do we pick? We pick Jesus. We answer to him. When we stand before judgment, we will not give a school exam from Clay's Mill Elementary. It doesn't matter about our educational experience. God will look at us and say, what did you do with Jesus, my son? Where is your relationship in regards to the the, the, my son who I sent to die on the cross. We're about to have our time of response. Today's message, tonight's message, Christ is calling you, Broadway Baptist, to be bold. Now, we have a lot of bold folks here at our church. I love this re- comment. The church is retreating. Will you make a commitment tonight? I'm not going to retreat. I'm not giving ground up. I'm going to stand on the word of God. I'm going to stand on the gospel. We're going to have our time of response. If you want to make a decision, if you want to follow Christ tonight, if you maybe you want to get baptized like we had a baptism this morning at the 9 a.m. service, I'll be standing out front. You come forward and make it public. Let's bow our heads and pray. 
God, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, seal it on our heart. Take these words and just help us realize, Lord, Peter and John, these were untrained, uneducated men. And God, you have had a boldness in them that is lacking so much today. Lord, we are retreating. We're not giving up any more ground. Lord, raise up the pastors here in this city and the church members to be bold for you. Lord, raise up in our church Peter and John's that just have an overflowing love for you. God, I pray tonight, this time of response, this invitation, if there's anyone here that needs to make something public, Lord, if anything, we should certainly be bold to give our life to you and not be ever be ashamed. We give you this invitation. In Jesus' name we all pray. Amen. Let's stand together. Gene King's going to lead us in our song. 433, I'll be standing out front waiting for you to respond. Thank you, Gene. Thank you so much for a time of invitation. I want to remind you, I appreciate you coming to evening worship service tonight. I actually love Sunday night church. Terry always says the sermons are better Sunday night because you have more time. <laughs> and um, anyway, uh, I want to remind you, next Sunday night is our big concert, 6 o'clock right here with His Heart Quartet. It's going to be a fantastic event. So uh, that's something to invite some friends to, a powerful time of prayer and praise. I guess, uh, Gene, do we have a closing song? Are we I do. Closing? I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family.